Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Paul Puckett, the former director of the Enterprise Cloud Management Agency in the Army's Chief Information Officer's Office. Paul, always my pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for taking the time to join me. Hey, and thanks for letting me uh, spend some time with you, Jason. In many ways, Paul, this is an exit interview, and I use exit in quotes because you're probably not necessarily exiting the community, but you did leave your job after three years. And this was a term appointment, if I got it correctly. So maybe just give us a little bit of background. Why was your time in the Army over? And of course, what comes next for you? Originally, when the Enterprise Cloud Management Office was stood up, the entire office was a temporary endeavor, right? And so the creation of the term SES position that I was brought in to fill was essentially going to be a a temporary thing along with the office. Along that journey, we've changed in the strategy of, hey, this isn't a lift and shift to the cloud and we're done in three years. This is really a modernization journey. That took hold. And so ultimately, the Enterprise Cloud Management Office became an enduring agency and the permanent structure of the United States Army. But my term remained a term. And part of that is, you know, as they create the new official office and the new senior leader position, uh, you know, that takes some time to go through all the the resource management of uh, the United States Army. And and so that takes time. And so for the for the last three years, I was just still in a, in a term employment. So part of kind of the, the future, if you will, uh, I did an op- have an option to stay as the Army CTO. And really, I, I chose to leave for, for a number of different reasons. And what's intriguing to me is when I always listen to the rumor mill of, of what those reasons are. So I'm thankful for an opportunity to speak for myself here. One, I left the government uh, back in 2018. So not too many people maybe maybe know my story, but was a contractor for a number of years, was a civilian employee over in the intelligence community for about six. And I left in 2018 and went out to industry. And leaving and going out to industry was an absolute wonderful learning experience for me. I would argue that there's no way that I could have navigated the last three years uh, in the ECMA if I did not have that experience in industry. Because one, being able to be immersed in the culture of of commercial industry, of emerging technology, trying to sell value into the government is exceptionally challenging. And I thought that that was just incredible experience. Uh, And I learned a crazy amount. Then I was able to bring that that, that learning and that culture back with me into the army when I took this role back in 2019. And I see a lot of value in kind of the uh, stepping out of your comfort zone and stepping into all other cultures and trying to to be a bridge. You know, we often talk about the the big you know valley of death, if you will, between emerging technology. Used to kind of use the term of Silicon Valley, but we we all know that emerging technology is much much uh, much broader than than just Silicon Valley out there in California. And so uh, we talk about that valley of death between emerging tech and the DoD. And I think that there's an immense value in trying to bridge that valley of death. Uh, by stepping out of your comfort zone, emerging yourself into other cultures, uh, learning from those cultures, being able to share from the culture that you come from, uh, and then take that learning back with you uh, back into the government. And so I feel like the timing is right for me to move back out into industry, uh, be challenged in a different way. Uh, as I said, I made a post online um, finally stating that I was departing, saying, hey, you know, it's time to go suck at something new. I love being challenged in that domain. And I fully intend, you know, whenever the time is right, uh, similar to, you know, me receiving a phone call to come into the Army back in 2019, if I were to uh, get called again to come back into uh, to serve the government, I would gladly do so. But I want to take these next couple of years to uh, uh, to immerse myself back into uh, commercial technology, deliver capability into all of the public sector, highly regulated industry, 
all impacting the national security of the United States. And I feel like the time is right, you know, completed my term, and it's time for something a little bit different. Though I imagine, I'll guess here that the Army CTO role was quite exciting as an opportunity. You, I would guess you maybe thought long and hard about it because of all the work that you did with the Army over the last three years, having a kind of a different perspective looking at from a CTO's role, was it a hard decision not to take that job? Or did you just feel like, oh, yeah, it's a great opportunity, but it's my time is, is now better spent Again, as you said, immersing yourself back in, in the industry and in the commercial sector. Being the director of the ECMA, just an absolutely incredible and exceptional opportunity, you know, with the United States Army. I've been so fortunate to have that role in the last three years. And uh, as a team and really as a community, I, I would say that we have uh, been tremendously successful uh, in not only delivering capability, but also uh, laying a foundation for future capabilities and, quite frankly, what I believe to be, you know, irreversible momentum when it comes to digital transformation in the United States Army, you know, enabled by and catalyzed by access to, to cloud computing. So if you pause on that to then think, you know, an opportunity to uh, start to shape even, a, you know, quite frankly, a greater portfolio of the United States Army kind of carrying that, uh, that title of, of CTO, you know, that's, that's an immense opportunity. But uh, probably say a few different things. One, yes, thought long and hard. Those conversations have been ongoing for, for quite some time and ultimately uh, made a decision to leave. But I feel as though there are opportunities and challenges that are on the horizon here uh, that live in the domain of how we actually accelerate the adoption of technology, uh, more so from an acquisition and a business perspective that I've been saying for quite some time is really limited on the, the mindsets and the skill sets of the people in the United States government. Uh, and, and I'll unpack that here. When I would talk to CTOs, you know, prior to joining the Army, I was the federal CTO of a commercial product company. I've talked to a number of different CTOs, and I've always said that a great CTO, sure, understands technology, but they understand where and how to insert technology into a business to make that uh, business uh, measurably better. Uh, in differentiating in whatever market they're trying to achieve and how you insert that technology is always dependent upon the people in the processes. And so when we start thinking about the skill sets and the mindsets of people, to me, that's the key differentiator when it comes to any technology, whether it's going to have value or not. And I feel like that skill set and that mindset side is something that I really want to be able to impact. And I would feel as though uh, the CTO wouldn't necessarily have that reach the way that I would want to have that reach. I've been fortunate in the last three years to touch all of the edges of cloud. I've said before in public, I think people expected me to, you know, establish policy and some governance around cloud computing and call it a day. But uh, instead, I immersed myself in operational organizations. I immersed myself in leadership discussions of like strategic thought. I immersed myself in you know, what skill sets are needed and what processes or policies need to change in order for those skill sets to be able to uh, actually put hands on keyboard and deliver value. And so uh, I feel like I would want that reach and no doubt as a CTO, I'd be able to be, you know, in those conversations, but there's a certain moment of empathy when it comes to companies, whether it's product companies, services companies, trying to help and support and grow the outcomes of the Department of Defense. And so I'd love to, quite frankly, give more of a voice to that community by immersing myself within that community. And staying as the Army CTO, I wouldn't have really been able to do that. I would have continued to, to speak on behalf of the government. And I feel as though in order for us to knock down a number of these barriers, 
there needs to be a, a voice on the outside joining, quite frankly, a chorus of voices uh, outside the government that are working diligently to, to really change some of the paradigms and some of the barriers to entry when it comes to being able to come alongside the government, uh, identify a problem, deliver a capability that we think solves that problem, uh, validate that hypothesis, and then build on that value quickly. And so I'd love to uh, just simply tackle really the same challenge, but just from a different angle. And so I felt as though the right decision for, uh, for me and my family was to do that from commercial industry rather than remaining as Army CTO. I think that makes a lot of sense for so many reasons. And, and given your background, how you've, you've, you were the classic person who's kind of gone in industry, gone to government, gone back to industry, gone back to government. It, that's what everyone talks about when they say oh, the future of the executive, right? We want somebody who can bring different perspectives at different times of their career. You know, next time you come in, maybe you go to the civilian sector and, and try to impact that in, in a different way versus, because I know you were in the Intel with NGA previously, you know, you were at the DOD with the army. So I think the next one is going to be, have to be civilian, Paul. I know you're not <laughs> thinking about that yet, but I will ask you, what are you thinking about? I know commercial sector is clear. And you mentioned public sector, you mentioned highly regulated industries without obviously, because I'm, it sounds like you don't know what's going next. Where would you like to land? What type of position? Can you give us any kind of sense? I think a number of people expected me to stay. And so when I said that I was leaving, I think a number of people expected me to already have something lined up, but I really tried to finish out my, my three-year term and, uh, and pressing on a number of things. And that meant uh, delaying the, uh, you know, what does Paul do next discussion? So I've had a couple of weeks to, to dive into that world now since uh, uh, my last day on the job was uh, technically Thanksgiving, but obviously took that as a holiday. So I've had about, you know, about two and a half weeks now to get curious about, about what that looks like in the future. Uh, I think as though when it comes to my passion and really what drives me, it's the delivery of capability that solves mission challenges. I think that naturally complements itself to like a services organization. And, and, you know, I've, I've previously worked in industry with a company that had a product as well as the services, but it was predominantly a, a product company. And so I think I'd like to, to complement that experience with more of a, a services led uh, organization, but really with a product mindset. And, and I think that that's so important is there's really a fundamental shift where we're realizing that trying to predict the future and uh, everything being just a project with a start and an end is really starting to shift into that product mindset, which means that really uh, it's kind of the embodiment of a role of someone who understands that software is never done. That we're constantly balancing the needs of customers with the strategic goals of the business. Um, and so that mindset is super critical. And oftentimes services companies struggle to understand that practice if they haven't themselves built or delivered a product. Um, and so I want to join an organization and a company that has that kind of services led initiative into a public sector, but also has that product mindset that understands the, the joys and the challenges of delivering a product into highly regulated industry. And so I'll probably join an organization like that. And uh, when it comes to roles, I think, you know, when I describe typically what my passion looks like and where I love to live and play, I think many kind of label that as a CTO, but you know, really titles aside is I really just want to live in the convergence of people, process, and technology to deliver value to uh, uh, to public sector. I'll probably do some consulting on the side. Uh, recently, uh, I kind of kicked up my own uh, little consulting thing because I feel like there's probably some 
you know, other curiosities, you know, that might have to immerse myself and kind of broaden the portfolio and, and my experiences. Um, but that'll surely be a kind of a part-time thing on the side, just to, um, you know, kind of entertain, you know, where, where, where my brain might go. Uh, but ultimately, I love being part of an organization and being part of a team and being part of a community. And so I'll probably find an organization that uh, that wants to partner with me and in, in delivering outcomes and, and delivering value for uh, for the federal government. Paul, on that note, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can continue our conversation. My guest today is Paul Puckett, the former director of the Enterprise Cloud Management Office in the Army's CIO's office. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Paul Puckett, the former director of the Enterprise Cloud Management Agency in the Army's CIO's office. Paul, I want to shift over to and talk a little bit about your time with the Army and, and working with ECMA. The first question I got to ask you is who took over for you, even on an interim basis? Who's the new director of the ECMA? My deputy, Mr. Gregory Judge, will be the acting director of the ECMA until uh, that permanent role is is competed and, and somebody selected for it. All right. He knows he has probably some uh, big shoes to fill after spending uh, time as your deputy. And, and let's talk a little bit about the ECMA and the impact it's had. When we talk about Army, we talk about cloud, as you said, initially, maybe there was some thought that the, this organization would be temporary. It would just be, OK, let's just get to the cloud and then we'll be done. Obviously, now, as you mentioned early on, it's permanent and it's part of the IT modernization journey. So give me a sense. Where is the Army today versus when you started just three years ago when it comes to cloud computing? Three years ago, and there are a number of uh, kind of quotes and comments that would, uh, I think, kind of capture where the Army was. And I, obviously, you know, the, the Army is quite large. So these are my experiences. It's not to say that uh, there wasn't modernization. There wasn't already adoption of cloud. There very much was. But what was not broadly understood is the opportunity of cloud computing and how that fundamentally changes the way that we look at moving from ideas to delivering capability into uh, production. I remember some of the the first conversations that I had. One of the quotes that I've talked about before that stood out is uh, talking about uh, tactical systems, specifically the mission command capabilities. And the quote from a very senior leader saying, oh, that's a tactical uh, capability. That will, quote, never go into the cloud. Or even one of my first conversations that I had when someone said, hey, Army loves quick wins. What are you going to do? And I said, I'm going to deliver common cloud services that people love. And the response was, no, you aren't. What's the second choice? or even uh, just really a lot of what I would say is probably simply put as fear, but really a, a lot of trepidation when it came to, uh, I'll say the implications towards security of cloud computing, which were really just a lack of understanding of what you know cloud computing enables in order to become way more secure by being able to uh, see uh, literally every single configuration, configuration change over time to be able to see really at all layers within the tech stack as to what's actually happening when it comes to your infrastructure, your data, your applications, and, and really just an opportunity for a lot of learning. You know, I found myself in the first couple of months just doing a lot of teaching. And, you know, it's tough to to find yourself in a teacher role when uh, the the people who probably need to listen and learn to a few things aren't coming from a learning organization. And I think that that was probably one of the greatest challenges is getting to a place where people felt as though, many, not all, but many felt as though they really had nothing to learn. They knew everything. And, uh, and so therefore, you know, kind of uh, our decisions were made and, and how we we're going to move forward. But what I found is a, a number of organizations, a number of people who saw the opportunity of cloud, so they're a great partner, or organizations that 
thought that they understood the opportunity in cloud, but there is there were things that they had to understand and things that they had to learn and questions that they needed answered in a very clear way that actually helped them uh, gain confidence, uh, be able to argue and be able to access resources, uh, and then be able to go and spend time uh, doing things um, in order to demonstrate a measurably better way uh, in different way of delivering capability, leveraging the cloud. And so it, it was really kind of those, those pieces, just a few different organizations like Dan Jensen over in the Army Analytics Group or Rob Shady over in uh, PEO EIS, or quite frankly, you know, Marco Temener and, and, and Mr. Robin Swan over in the uh, Office of Business Transformation uh, that, that saw that there were some, some opportunities and some areas to partner. And that's what really uh, kind of moved from that uh, moment of, I would say, fear and trepidation, but to be able to show and demonstrate to the rest of the Army that one of the most critical systems, you know, our enterprise resource planning capabilities were in the cloud, were secure, were operational, that were available, and that we were actually empowering the team that actually ran the ERPs to be able to modernize those capabilities as they adopted the cloud. And so there are just a few critical outcomes and stories that were able to emerge from that, that really started to plant seeds across the rest of the army as to how we could, we could add value. And so what we did is just as a team, we leaned into that. I would say second to that, uh, and kind of to that learning organization, uh, some of the things that we worked hard as a team to, to plant that I think, you know, very much contrasted is we worked hard to create a culture of learning uh, within the ECMO at the time and now the ECMA, but also a culture of, of just humble, kind, hardworking people that acknowledge that they don't have all the answers. As they uh, you know, said before, I love this quote, you know, the more I learn, the more I learn that there's more to learn. And so when like you instill that in people, Right. It means that when you know good feedback or bad feedback happens, it's an opportunity to learn. It's not something to defend your decisions of the past and you know kind of uh, get into a defensive mode. But it's a it's a it's an opportunity to ask more questions, open your ears, and learn. And so we created this organization that, quite frankly, sees their value and how they're able to listen to feedback and respond to that feedback and deliver capability. And I feel like planting that seed has grown beyond the ECMA. We see a community now that quite frankly uh, exists to be able to uh, learn and be able to be measured on how quickly they can listen and react and deliver a capability that's better uh, quickly. And so when you, when you start to contrast just a few different things, you now find uh, some of our most capable and uh, critical systems leveraging the cloud that are not only demonstrating value to forces command, but are also fundamentally changing the way that we look at requirements and organizational alignment incentive structures are the tactical mission command systems. So the thing three years ago uh, that quote would never go into the cloud, not only is in the cloud, but is the catalyst for hybrid cloud capabilities for the army has been demonstrating value uh, within a tactical cloud and edge cloud uh, ecosystem for the last year and a half now for the army. And is also being seen as uh, kind of a, a use case for learning across the rest of the DoD when it comes to how you know modernization and digital transformation can can be employed and, and contrasted. And so, I think for those few different reasons, we we now have kind of a a mindset and a skill set change in the opportunity of the cloud. We have a learning community, a learning organization that values their ability to respond to people's feedback rather than 
you know, valuing, you know, their ability to predict the future and kind of hold a line. And we're showing in some of the most critical and complex ecosystems, the value of cloud computing from both an enterprise tactical into an edge ecosystem. And quite frankly, I, I could not be prouder uh, of what the community has done over the last three years, or, or quite frankly, looking into the future where that where that community is going to go, not just for the United States Army, uh, but really the Army playing a key role in the greater uh, Department of Defense for JADC2, or even you know the United States playing a key role in the coalition partnerships that we have globally, uh, because there is no competition or conflict that we enter that's U.S. alone. Uh, we are always going with our coalition partners, and I'm just I'm thankful for what we've been able to accomplish in the contrast, you know, looking at the last three years. But more importantly, I'm really excited for for where that's going to go. Paul, on that note, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can continue our conversation. My guest today is Paul Puckett, the former director of the Enterprise Cloud Management Office in the Army's CIO's office. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Paul Puckett, the former director of the Enterprise Cloud Management Agency in the Army's CIO's office. You talked a lot about the impact from a policy perspective. You talked a lot about the impact from an organizational perspective. Maybe let me take you a step further, because I think when we do these exit interviews, sometimes folks like to see, okay, what was the impact actually on the ground? You mentioned, for instance, the ERPs and getting folks more comfortable with the ERPs. You talked about the hybrid cloud, how it's being used at the tactical edge and the like. So when we talk about cloud, where would you say the Army is in the journey? Are they if you use the old crawl, walk, run, are they in the walk stage? Are they just out getting out of the crawl stage? Are they actually running? How would you kind of measure the the impact so far and where they're where they're at today and where they're going in the future? And I think it depends on where you are in the army. And the army is you know massive, right? While exceptionally, uh, say, challenging to really get off the ground when it came to the tactical space, when you demonstrate value for forces command and our operational forces, when you think of our cores and our division being enabled with technology to compete and win, uh, and you see value and you see momentum there, uh, it's easy for that to to move quickly. And so I think there's a lot of hyper-focus, uh, and rightfully so, as to how we learn and adapt. I think you see a number of models that were uh, really born out of 18th Airborne Corps with Project Ridgeway that are starting to be emulated across you know, first, third, and fifth Corps. I think you start to see really some some structures start to take hold and people really ne- leaning into the tactical side of the house because again when you impact our ability to uh, support uh, readiness and lethality that's critical and i, and I think you're going to find quickly in the in the walking into running phase here uh, in that domain when you think of then like major enterprise logistics and ecosystems i think a lot of the lessons learned with the erps are really laying the groundwork for the groundwork for ebsc an enterprise business system convergence there and moving to a more modular open architecture that's able to, quite frankly, simplify the quite complex uh, ecosystem of our ERPs today and also uh, reduce a lot of the undifferentiating heavy lifting that happens to support those and getting into more of the, the value add mission side of the house. And so I think you see that domain moving from the, the walk into the run phase. I think a number of, of new initiatives and new capabilities across the PEOs are kind of in, in different domains. There are a number that have been you know, in the cloud for quite some time, some others that quite frankly are just really starting their cloud journey, or at the very least seeing how cloud computing enables a component 
of their journey uh, and their modernization. And so I think you're kind of in that in that crawl kind of into to walk phase uh, over there. Uh, but then you've got to think about all of the currently operational, non-program of record, you know, it's been kind of hanging tight and living in a data center for quite some some period of time. I think you're still in a crawl phase for a lot of those capabilities. There's a major initiative to shut down and modernize the, the data centers, uh, turn them into uh, private cloud capabilities, you know, where necessary to complement our existing investment in commercial cloud, you know, capabilities that you know, already exist on class and secret and can also exist both CONUS and no CONUS today. But a lot of the challenge there, I think, is is a fewfold uh, to get from the crawl stage into the walk stage. You know, it's like, uh, kind of, uh, I've always described to my team, like perception is one of three things. Right? You know, people always say perception is reality, but I actually say it's, it's probably one of three things. Perception is either reality, like whatever you perceive to be, you know, good or bad, turns out it, you know, it is actually good or bad. But there are two others. One is just a lack of awareness, right? There's probably some information that you didn't know or you didn't have access to, didn't try to get it, whatever it might be, where it turns out your perception's incorrect and the barrier is something that you need to simply be aware of. Or it's a third, it's like a tweak on that, which is there's actually a lack of skill set. Like there's a lack of knowledge of the fundamental of some of thing, you know, typically a technology or whatever it might be that really inhibits you from then gaining the access to the information uh, that would help you then change your mind that your perception is not accurate uh, to reality. I think all three uh, of those things are impacting a lot of those non-programs of record when it comes to cloud computing. Additional to that is resources, right? When you think of uh, kind of the small program that's been persisting or the you know, small system that's been persisting in a data center for years and they put in the palm, hey, you know, we need to modernize and we need X you know, number of dollars to do it, but it's difficult for you to really qualify or quantify what it is that you're trying to do. Oftentimes you're not gonna get those resources to modernize. And so kind of you, you just eat further into kind of that maintenance side of things. I think there are a number of challenges beyond just the mindsets and the skill sets or perception of cloud computing, but into a resource side of the house that's really critical there as well. But you've got to change the skill sets and the mindsets first to then be able to uh, allow people to defend the need for resources to go uh, and modernize. And so I think that there's a lot of limitations there across system owners and kind of a world that's always been evaluated about how well they can uh, kind of hug their server and, and keep it keep it online. But really you're not evaluating the other teams that are responsible for delivering value and capability in a fundamentally different way. And so I actually think that there's a deeper issue to people that you know want to hug their servers is oftentimes they've never worked with an organization uh, that they can depend on to do the thing that they like fundamentally need in order to deliver on their mission. And so they're left to their own devices and they've just got to do it themselves. Um, I, I think that more often than not, it's you know not people that just love their servers, it's people that never had somebody that they could work with and depend on. And so my hope and my vision, part of what why we established the ECMA that we did, why we landed the culture the way that we did, why we wanted to create a learning organization the way that we did, why we wanted to evaluate people on their ability to respond uh, to pain uh, and deliver goodness, right? To be able to learn quickly from that is because in order for us to win in the future, in order for us to gain digital overmatch as the United States Army or the DOD, we have to do it together. Uh, and we can't create an ecosystem where 
uh, we can't depend on each other to do the fundamental things so that we can add value on top of it. And so I think when you bring a community to the table uh, to a skill set and a mindset challenge, I think you unlock those limitations quickly. And then as a community, you can start to argue for resources effectively in order to drive uh, modernization. And so even for those in the Army and really across, across the DoD that are still in that crawl phase, I think the thing that solves that challenge uh, is a community that comes alongside them, right? Not a uh, like a fear-based organization where everyone's fighting for the same resources and we all have to, to compete, but actually a community that says, hey, I'm going to add value here. I think you can add value on top of this. How do we prove this idea to be true? And I think that's where you start to get all of the components of the United States Army moving out of that crawl phase into that walking phase, uh, and then very quickly into that running phase when it comes to the uh, the journey of digital transformation. Paul, on that note, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can continue our conversation. My guest today is Paul Puckett, the former director of the Enterprise Cloud Management Office in the Army's CIO's office. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Paul Puckett, the former director of the Enterprise Cloud Management Agency in the Army's CIO's office. Paul, I'm going to slightly shift gears a little bit and maybe uh, ask you to talk a little bit about yourself just a, in a different way. When you talk about your time at ECMA and all the things you guys have done, the two questions I always ask folks when we do kind of these type of exit interviews is, what initiatives or accomplishments are you most proud of? And I know you'll credit the team, which is always excellent. And then uh, the, the conversely, what do you wish you would have made more progress on? So let me ask you to start with mm. your accomplishments. Uh, let's talk specifically about stuff you were involved in, stuff that you, more specifics about what you felt like ECMA got done during your three years. So first and foremost, I'll always say the community. I said this at the very beginning uh, with the team. We can't do this alone. We need to build the, build the us uh, beyond just the ECMA. Uh, and really grow a community. And so I'm, I'm exceptionally proud of that community that we've built that is, is much bigger than the ECMA, point number one. Uh, point number two, I think if you look at the strategy of uh, buy, secure, build, uh, and if you look at the, the common services around common cloud, common software, and common data services, I'm exceptionally uh, proud that we've moved the ball on, on all of those. No doubt, way more you know, mature on the, on the buy in the secure side of the house with Camo and C Army and EAMM, you know, shortly here on on the heels. But if you think about it in in that order, we really needed to learn a lot in the C Army domain, and we needed to learn a lot in the Camo domain uh, in order for something like EAMM to truly have strong roots to be able to grow. Because when you throw a, a multi-award IDIQ out there uh, that's actually going to put hands on keyboard for building new capabilities enabled by the cloud for all of the the mission areas and, and the capabilities of the United States Army, if you do that on a on a weak foundation, that's just going to quickly hit a wall. And so I'm exceptionally proud of of what we created in uh, Camo, C Army, as well as you know the the roots for for where EAMM is is going to take us. Specifically in those, when we created Camo, the original intent of Camo was uh, the way that we're buying cloud is still like we're buying hardware. Uh, for a data center, if we truly want to move to a utility-based model, uh, we need to create a feedback loop when it comes to utilization and efficiency uh, into the PPBE process. It almost should be uh, PPBEE. 
right? Like we don't want to just care about execution and spending the money. But what did you spend that on and what value did you get back? And with cloud computing, it's actually pretty simple to, uh, to create that feedback loop. Uh, that has resulted in millions of dollars avoided for the United States Army or millions saved when it comes to inefficient buying in the cloud. And some might think that that's trivial, but that's each program, you know, millions of dollars year over year over year, like that compounds, compounds over time. And that's all money that we can spend on modernizing for the mission. And so the structure that we've created in Camo, uh, I'm really proud of. And I'm really proud of that team as well. There are very few IPTs that you can join where every single month at the end, everyone just turns and looks at each other and says, this is a lot of fun and I love what I do. That's a really, really cool thing to, to say and do. When it comes to C-Army, I think this idea of delivering services that people love is critical. I don't care about any mandates or any policies to use C-Army. We want people to use it because it adds value to their lives and they can focus on their mission. We want people to, to love those services. And so I'm exceptionally proud of of what we've created in C Army and both that model and how it's growing. When it comes to then, you know, common services, C Army really is the common cloud services of the secure cloud computing architecture and and where we're going for modernizing that architecture as we move into a more zero trust architecture and the implications when it comes to, you know, all kind of network kind of specific zero trust uh, components. When we talk about comply to connect, when we call talk about secure access service edge, when we talk about SD-WAN and some of the other capabilities to be able to uh, uh, connect and share information in a very distributed architecture. Super proud of the work that we're doing there and, and some of the, the stuff that we're pressing there. But even beyond those common services is you know ways that we can actually deliver uh, common data and common software services uh, you know, to the Army. I've described it before where if you want to be like an Olympic lifter or a professional football player or a professional tennis player, a cheerleader, any of those things, at some point, you're probably going to pick up some weights. Uh, what are those common tools and capabilities for data and software that people need uh, in order to build? Uh, I'm really proud of what Create's uh, established. I'm really proud of what C Data has started. But I feel like there's so many places that the, those both of those worlds can go that I think there's a lot of opportunity, specifically on the data side. Uh, I've said this before. I think there's a, a hyper-focus in uh, analytics and visualization capabilities uh, that exist because often somebody's asking a question. They need an answer and the way that they're going to kind of understand and consume that answer is typically with uh, some type of uh, dashboard or something and there's some metric or something. Uh, but a lot of people forget what had to happen in order to curate that data uh, in order for it to be analyzed and then visualized. And so I think across the entire department, we really need to enable self-service to the basic tools and services and capabilities of data engineering that helps us establish discoverable data. You know, not just catalog. Catalog's critical, no doubt. But how do you actually source information to that catalog? How do you start to understand and structure data in a way where you create an interface to it uh, and there's a schema for it, the necessary you know, security access management implications are put in place. There's a lot of work to be done there. And it's a lot of hard work no doubt it can be enabled by technology and artificial intelligence, but I think there's a severe lack of uh, data engineering tools, resources, and skill sets that need to be put in place in order for us to truly democratize data and access to data and turn it into a strategic asset. And there's also a, a mindset uh, shift there as well. And I'm extremely encouraged um, by some of the discussions that I've had 
specifically uh, with the CDAO uh, and uh, the deputy over there, when you think of truly leveraging machine learning artificial intelligence, when the tenor that's coming out of both the director, uh, Craig, as well as the, the deputy, Margie, to get after data readiness for AI, that encourages me. And so I think that there's a lot of hard work uh, that has yet to be done. And I also think that there's an acquisition strategy that needs to be employed specifically at the data tooling as a service, rather than you know basic data engineering needs being buried in uh, some specific program of record. And when you start to deliver those services to people that are both programs as well as non-programs of record to truly democratize their data, I think you're going to see uh, an exponential growth in data maturity and data readiness for AI. And so I think that there's a lot of work that's yet to be done there, uh, but I'm encouraged by both the leadership uh, as well as the mindset. Curious to see from a resourcing and acquisition side of the house to see that pick up. And then over on the software side of the house, I feel like there's there's a lot of opportunity and growth. You know, we've seen a lot of the software factories, you know, spin up across uh, the DoD. Uh, we were uh, critical partners when it came to getting Create off the ground is partnering with the Army Software Factory. And one of the things I think that the Army Software Factory is, is understood and got right is that there is a mindset around, you know, truly how we add value in delivering services and capabilities from an agile perspective that truly demonstrates that software is never done. Uh, and then two, doesn't overemphasize cost schedule and performance where it actually conflicts with you know, value for the customers and for the business. So I think that there's a lot of growth that's needed in that domain as well. I think that this world where you know something gets kind of uh, put out to pasture to be O&M'd, uh, I think it's a broken model. I think when you bring development and operations together and you have those uh, mutual incentives uh, in order to continuously deliver value for the mission, you understand that software's never done. Uh, and kind of this thing of you know something being acquired somewhere and then thrown over the wall to be O&M somewhere is a broken model that does not work. You know, software isn't, isn't like a tank. You know, we're not painting software and just trying to, to maintain. We're constantly able to add value and capability. We constantly have to be uh, vigilant around uh, security uh, vulnerabilities, right? What is your ability to be able to respond and remediate, you know, security incidents with software? And so it's truly understanding is that software is never done and putting that into practice, I think is critical. And so I think the, the basic tooling of create, that ecosystem needs to grow and expand. I think that community needs to grow and expand. I think that there's so much value in uh, starting to understand structure and templates and acknowledging that there's no one design pattern for all of software, but there need to be kind of a few common designs and a few common patterns that people lean into, and it requires a community to lean into that. And so in that domain, I'm exceptionally encouraged uh, recently uh, uh, a briefing and concurrence from the Undersecretary of the Army is uh, kind of a salt for software-intensive uh, things, acknowledging there is no such thing as sustainment. We're going to be constantly and continuously enhancing capability, and that really encourages me. Paul, we're just about out of time. Before I let you go, give me a sense, you know, as you look back over your, your time at ECMA and your time in the Army, what do you hope is the, the kind of lasting impact you've had? What, what do you hope is, as you look, you go back in you know, three, five, seven years from now, what, what do you hope that you can say, hey, I was a part of that success or I was a part of that impact? Right at the very beginning, I remember one of my first conversations with, uh, with Greg Judge talking about the team and, and where we wanted to go. And I was, I, was pretty, I was pretty pointed in my comment and I was talking about change uh, and I was talking about really kind of the culture of change and I, and I made this comment to him where I was like, you know, I want to kind of 
press the envelope. I want to incite change. There's a certain amount of uncomfortable moments that need to happen. Change is hard, especially when organizations have been established for years kind of based on the status quo and you want to come in and change the status quo. Like you're not going to make a whole bunch of friends if people just love the status quo. But if you understand that what got us here isn't going to get us there, then some change needs to happen. But I was hyper aware of being a term employee. So I I said to Greg, I said, you know, I want to be kind of pointed and spicy enough where we force change to happen in the right way that is like measurably better for the mission. But I don't want to be so spicy where we create kind of this fear-based organization where people are one, afraid to join the team because if I then leave, right, essentially the, you know, everyone's going to kind of come after them as kind of opposing the status quo, right? Like you essentially create create new enemies. And so I had this like weird di- dichotomy goal where uh, I wanted to, and I think the quote was, you know, I want to be spicy and, and press the envelope enough where the people who want the status quo are afraid that I'm going to stay. But the people that actually want change aren't afraid if I leave at the end of my term, right? I want them to feel as though they're making the right decision to join this community and, and kind of press the line. And that was my goal. And in order to do that, it means that you've got to align on the why, you've got to align on the intent that there's this imperative and you've got to achieve it. You can't drive change out of fear, right? You got to drive change out of love. I I wanted to be this benevolent disruptor. And so that was really my personal goal. And so looking three, five, seven years is that we, you know, we, we got that right, that the momentum isn't lost, that people continue to change. They see the opportunity, they see the why, they're driving relentlessly towards that. And they're doing so as a community and they're, accepting people that are willing to learn uh, and that they they push back and they ask for better for people that think that they have all the right answers or you know that we should go back to the kind of the way things were that's what i really hope uh, is there's this just enduring community that has nothing but amazing outcomes for the mission that they see in the rearview mirror and and just an absolute never-ending opportunity in front of them to drive to drive outcomes for the mission for the Department of Defense. Paul, the impact you obviously and your team has made at ECMA will continue to make is clear. I don't think anyone's going backwards from cloud. I don't think data centers are the future. Uh, but uh, so uh, I appreciate, though, the fact is you want to make a have that benevolent approach to change because we all know change is hard and, and people sometimes are, aren't so excited to, to see things change. Paul, unfortunately, we are out of time for today, so let me thank my guest. Paul Puckett is the former director of the Enterprise Cloud Management Agency in the Army's Chief Information Officer's Office. Paul, always a pleasure to have you on, and thank you so much for your time today, and obviously thank you for your service to the country. Hey, thanks, Jason. I appreciate it. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One. With one of the best savings rates in America, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than choosing Slash to be in your band. Next up for lead guitar... You're in. Cool. (laughs) Yep, even easier than that. And with no fees or minimums on checking and savings accounts, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One and a member FDIC.